0: In 1891, two small whale boats from the British vessel, the Star of the East, were lowered into the cold waters just off the Falkland Islands. They had just seen a huge sperm whale. A crew member, James Bartley, who was 21, watched as the harpoon met its mark. And the creature dived 250 metres before the line went slack once more. Moments later, the whale burst forth out of the water and smashed down upon one of the boats. All but two of the crew were rescued. One of the missing was James Bartley. Hours later, the whale resurfaced and was winched upon the ship. And the whalers noticed that there was movement in its stomach and so they cut it open. And out came a trousered leg with a boot on it and there was James Bartley still living after 15 hours in the belly of this whale. Its digestive juices had permanently bleached his skin a deathly white and he lost all of his hair and was nearly blind. For two weeks he was delirious and it was a month before he, was, he could tell that he had fallen into the whale's mouth. How he had fallen into the whale's mouth felt the huge teeth grate over him as he slid down its throat and into its stomach. This modern Jonah lived 18 more years, dying at the age of 39. And this comes from an account at the Eden Killer Whale Museum, just off the south coast of New South Wales. And it, it um, accounts this story, or sources this story, to records of British admiralty. But the National Geographic reporter that I saw on on a website uh, during the week, he goes on to say that this story, it can't be true. It's completely unfounded and sourceless. And he doesn't believe that it actually happened. Our reporter's probably not going to believe that Jonah survived three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, is he? I want to ask you a question. Do you believe this actually happened? Do you believe that Jonah survived three days and three nights and was spewed up onto dry land after after the time in the belly of a fish? I certainly think if I was a prophet and it wasn't a true story, I wouldn't tell anyone. I wouldn't make up a a story like this either. Many of us have been taught this story if we went to Sunday school as a kid. But now we come to the chapter that's, that's not very well known. Did we ever get taught about this prayer or this psalm that we see here? My recollection of the story from... Good years in Sunday school was that Jonah ran away from God. He was tossed out of the boat to save the sailors and the ship from breaking up. He was swallowed by the fish and then he was spewed out onto the beach. And then he went and preached like a good prophet to the people of Nineveh. And so chapter four is another part of the story, but we'll get to that. Before we get into this, This chapter. I want to have a look at verse 17. Have a look at some of the words there that that denote, usually denote uh, destruction and death. The word swallowed there usually depicts destruction. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When speaking of the destruction of cities or the judgment of people, these words, swallowed or devoured, are sometimes used. Like uh, that in Numbers chapter 26, verse 10. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with, with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning... And again, with the words of three days and three nights, generally this denotes death as well. Because after the fourth day of a person being in a tomb or being dead, usually they were considered completely dead with no hope of resurrection. So we see from this very verse that Jonah's situation is pretty dire. But I don't believe that he's dead I don't believe that he's dead because there's no words saying And he died Which is usually the case in the Old Testament When our character dies Jonah's prayer this morning falls into two parts Verses 2-7 to record his experience when he was first cast into the water And in particular, he stresses the the danger of his situation. And his cry to God for help. But it also stresses that God was willing to help. Verses 8 and 9 contain Jonah's positive appraisal of the Lord and his personal response to God's deliverance. Out of this chapter we can see that Jonah comes to a point where he accepts that you cannot run from God because God is sovereign and that he needs to repent of the wrongdoing that he's done and of course also that he needs deliverance from his situation. So Jonah is in the process of accepting the fact that God is in control over all things. Look at verses three, four, five, and six. The first part of verse six. Verse three it says, "For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your will, waves and your billows passed over me." And verse six. I went down to the land uh, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 3, Jonah says, You cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. But wait, wasn't it the sailors that chucked him overboard in chapter 1? Jonah's slowly realising that that God is in control over all things that nothing happens that is outside of God's control and the sovereignty of God is emphasised here Jonah is at the point of accepting God's sovereignty and that trying to run away from him is futile and he's Working his way through the the fact that he needs to uh, repent of what he was of, of not doing what God was calling him to do in in many of the religions around the Middle East uh, there was poly, polytheistic theologies that is many gods and in in these religions there was gods that were in control of the weather, gods that were in control of the sun, gods that were in control of the fertility of the earth. And they're strong. But they were subject to the forces of, of other things upon themselves. They were subject to the forces of nature, they were subject to the forces of other gods, gods. But here we see that that God's will is never frustrated by anything outside of himself. It's never frustrated by the forces of nature. In fact, God uses the storm to achieve his will. He appoints the fish to achieve his will, to turn Jonah back to himself. And there's only one area that, that God can be thwarted, so to speak, that's by human free will. This exception comes as, as God's choice, God's own decision to create beings with the ability to, ability to either choose to obey Him or deny Him. But even that even that God can use. God can use our disobedience just in the same way that he uses Jonah to give us a, a great message. We can kid ourselves that we can escape God and his presence just like Jonah, can't we? Eventually we'll have to stand before him and, ac- and give an account of our actions. That, that we trusted as God, in God as sovereign or we completely dismissed him we'll have to stand before him and give an account one day. And this account illustrates the impossibility of escaping God's presence, the folly of of attempting such a thing. From his initial flight, Jonah's progress has always been down. He went down to Joppa to board the boat to Tarshish. He went downwards into the inner parts of the ship to go to sleep. He went downward into the deep water. And he went downward into the belly of the fish. And each of these stages symbolises a further movement away from God. And now when Jonah can sink no longer, God saves him. This is kind of a hard message to give on a a day like today because I know that, that many of you are going through difficult sort of times. Belly of the fish, metaphorical sort of times. Sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom so that our attention will be turned back to him. It doesn't mean that God is vindictive and, and, and just causes bad things to happen to us so that he will look great. But he uses these times to try and regain our attention so that we will turn back to him just as he's trying to regain the attention of Jonah. You might say that this is a little tough on God's part Sometimes we have a a diminished view of God's sovereignty and a heightened view of our entitlement, don't we? We think that, that God is too tough as a judge and yet we sing songs like Sovereign in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor I really wish you weren't on point with your song choices this week Yet sometimes we don't want Him to be sovereign over our lives. We want Him to be our Saviour. And yet we're not willing to give up control of every aspect of our lives. You might be going through a hard time this week, this month, this year. I'm thinking, why doesn't God do something to help me? My answer to that question is, is Jesus is a most sympathetic friend. He is our fellow sufferer. He is our, our saviour. He has walked a hard road just as, as we do sometimes he has felt felt his own anguish and crushing pain as isaiah illustrates in verse in chapter 53 jesus understands what we're going through and he's compassionate towards us by the comfort of his presence and th- sympathy he intends to draw you out and draw you to himself to take your gaze from the things surrounding you, like dead fish, and and the inner linings of a fish, he intends to draw you out and take his take your gaze upon him. Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respite Every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what we've been through, what we're going through, because he went through it himself. Turn over, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. If you've been here for the time of our, our study through Romans, your Bible might just you know, fall open at that pace. Spot. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 And we know that for, the, for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, we have a God who hears us when when we cry out. Not like the little G-gods that the sailors were crying out to for deliverance on the ship last week. Our God listens and he cares for you. Sometimes he allows us to sink lower and lower and lower until we'll get to a position like Jonah where we'll actually cry out to him. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But the verse before it asks us to humble ourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Acceptance of Jonah's situation and that his disobedience caused his situation, alongside the acceptance of God's sovereignty, now brings about repentance for Jonah. Have a look at verse 9 of chapter 2 it says but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord just find my spot again The first thing that we see here out of this verse is that repentance includes a turning away from our own way and back to God, to worship Him. Repentance is is not just about saying, I'm sorry. It's more than that. It's a complete turnaround of your life. It's a sacrificing life. It means that there needs to be an element of sacrifice for sins. Praise be to God who, who sent Jesus Christ to, to be our sacrifice for our sins. But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was was entirely thankful that God had not forsaken him, that God had not allowed him to just sink to the bottom of the ocean. Even though Jonah knew that God would have been right within his rights to have done that. He was grateful, thankful with his life that God had saved him. And so Jonah vowed to turn away from his disobedience and make recompense for his for his disobedience by vowing to do what God would have him do. Friends, the doctrine of, of repentance that we see in the Bible is, is a call for us to make a radical turn from one way of life to another. This repentance calls us to to a personal and absolute, ultimate, can, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Even though it includes sorrow and regret, it's, it's much, much more than that. It's a call from, to conversion from self-love, self-trust, self-assertion to an obedient trust, to a, a full self-commitment to God. It's a change of mind that involves a conscious turning away from wrong actions and toward a life that reflects godly things, pure things and biblical commands. It's an intentional turning away from our way of life or our will to God's will. And in repentance one makes a complete 180 degree turn toward God. There's 180 degrees if you're going down like Jonah to go back up after God delivers him. Repentance typically requires an admission of guilt for committing a wrong or or omitting to do the right thing. And a promise or resolve to not repeat the offence. An attempt to make restitution for the wrong and in some cases reverse the harmful effect of the wrong wherever possible. Are you sitting in your metaphorical belly of the fish this morning because of disobedience? I can't convict you of this. I can only ask the question. Pastor Duncan asked us last week, have you been running away from God? I'm asking you this week, have you been denying God his rightful place in your life? The message of Jonah and and that of all the prophets is to repent to turn away from your sin and turn to God, a God who delivers us. Salvation belongs to our God. Friends, come to a point where you and I accept and acknowledge that, that there is sin in our lives, that we need to repent of this and, and vow to make things right whether that means apologising for wrongs caused or, or committing yourself to continual obedience in the future. There's a bit of a message in the, in the modern church that you can just come to God and, and he'll save you. There's not too much involved in that. God's all loving and, and he would ne- never allow anyone to suffer. This is rubbish. This kind of theology pits one of God's attributes against the rest of them. God is loving and therefore it's not possible for him to judge us. Again, rubbish. Yes, God is loving, but he is also just and holy and righteous and to be feared but he is also a saving God. A God of deliverance for his people who turn to him in repentance, true repentance. And the next thing we see out of our passage this morning is that if we come to God with true repentance, we will receive deliverance. We will. Verse 9 and verse 10 As I've read this before, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Deliverance is one thing that Jonah is certain of. Look again at verses 4 and 6. Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall Again, look upon your holy temple. Verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah's certain of the fact that God will deliver him. He knows he will be saved when he comes to God in true repentance. His theology of God is, is that God requires repentance before deliverance is given. And the way that Jonah's delivered is not very delightful. Spewed up onto a beach. If you've ever been fishing, the smell of fish lingers for a long time, doesn't it? Jonah probably stunk so bad. But he was alive. He had made a vow to make things right with God and to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance. Friends, deliverance is one thing that we can be certain of as well. That we can accept God for who he is, not just our version of who he might be, that that when we repent, I mean truly repent and turn away from our sin, turn to God, then we can be certain of deliverance. But it gets better than that. Deliverance was given a long time before we ever repented. Deliverance in Jesus was given a long time before any of us even knew God. Have a look again at verse 9 but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation, friends, comes as a, as a result of sacrifice. And it comes to us in the shape of Jesus' sacrifice, not in the shape of a goat or a bull or a lamb. It comes by... The blood of Jesus, shared upon a cross. Rosemary Nixon, in her commentary out of this passage, says that seven miracles have taken place already in this short narrative. that God caused a violent storm in verse chapter one, verse four. Had the lot fall on Jonah, calmed the sea when he was thrown overboard? commanded the fish to swallow Jonah and had the fish transport him safely upon the dry land. But perhaps the greatest of all is that he melted the disobedient prophet's heart. Have a look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 to 41. With me. Matthew 12, verse 39. Jesus is addressing the the scribes and Pharisees who asked him for a sign. And he answered them and he said, "An, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Maybe we need to consider the sign of Jonah and accept God's sovereignty over our lives. Maybe we need to spend some time in repentance asking God to forgive us of our sins. Maybe we need to spend some time looking at the way that God delivers his people Something greater than Jonah is here and that is Jesus Christ. There's something here for all of us here this morning. This chapter shows the grace of God in an in a amazing way toward Jonah even when he was disobedient. You see, we serve a gracious and loving God who desires that no one would perish and that all would be saved. And this should compel us to go and and preach good news to people that don't know him. The good news of Jesus Christ crucified, dead and buried and resurrected. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this prayer that Jonah prays here in in chapter 2 we thank you for the fact that it illustrates the importance of of accepting you who as who you are as the sovereign lord of all things and lord we come to you in in repentance asking for your help to to turn away from our will and our ways and going towards your will and your ways for our life, for our church, for our community. And Lord, that we would preach the message of deliverance from a gracious and loving God who sent his son to die on a cross so that we might be made right with you. Lord, we ask for all those who are experiencing a metaphorical belly of the fish at the moment, that you would send your comfort and your peace upon them. That they would turn their gaze towards you. And Lord, that you would help us to, to be those people that continually turn their gaze upon you as well. We ask again for your comfort and peace to be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. The final um, song that we're going to sing,